This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 239. Miss me, people? <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's up, man? Back in the saddle, baby. Look who's back from his like nine-week trip around the world. Okay. Look who's back in the... <laughs> House, uh, what? Is that a song? I, I think it is. You and your like there's, 80s, there's a lot of 90s bad words. references. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I think it was like Dr. Dre or something. <laughs> I don't. Which was in the 90s, sadly. But yeah. 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 You and your 90s yeah. music. Anyway, how you doing? You're back hey, from a trip. Up, man? Did you have a good time? You did not get any uglier. So <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> That's really not tough to get uglier when you're already <laughs> looking like this. You know, it, it doesn't get much worse. So. Oh, stop. Anyway, you, know, so, you have selective beauty. I have, you know, my mom thinks I'm really handsome. So <laughs> that's all that counts in my world. Brandon, uh, you know, you're, you're a good looking guy, man. It's all good. Oh, thanks, um, Josh. You want my number? You went around the, you went around the West, the Western half of the U S I, I went on vacation. Uh, Weird. we, we, my wife, my three kin and I jumped into an RV and we circumnavigated uh, Northern America. It was amazing, man. We had a phenomenal time. I'll give you a very, very quick and dirty catch up. We catch up, catch up, catch up. We went up towards Mount Rushmore. We went to Crazy Horse, which is like phenomenal. We were at Rushmore on July 3rd, which was probably the most patriotic thing I'd ever experienced <laughs> in my life. It was really, really, really cool. Um, cool. From Rushmore, we went up to Devil's Tower, Close Encounters I of love the Third Kind. So, so cool. Uh, we then went up to Glacier National Park, which is just probably one of the most gorgeous places I've ever been. Had a great time, hiked, boated, did all sorts of fun stuff. Linked up with fellow podcaster and a friend of both of ours, Peter Awad, yep. which was awesome. What's this show? Um, it's the, uh, the Slow Hustle Podcast, Slow Hustle right? Podcast. Yeah, great show. We met Pete, went down to Yellowstone, saw all the cool stuff, had animals everywhere. It was just like, it's like a picture of there's a big Buffalo or whatever. But in a your, Buffalo like 10 feet away from us. Yeah. yeah cool. I mean like it's, it's bananas. You know, it, the, these places, if you've never been, you have to go see these places. They're just stunning. Went to Grand Teton National Park, which again, absolutely stunning. And then, you know, a bunch of other places on the way back, but it was, it was amazing. There were lots of great stories, including the the blue um, <laughs> the blue mess. Do you wanna, um, so, Josh, if you ever saw the movie yeah. RV? I never, I never saw it. But you texted me that night, and you said what you were cleaning under the RV, and you unscrewed some cap that you shouldn't have done, and you were covered in human stuff. Yeah. That yep. was and, yep. so. Josh texts me, and he says, "Any idea how to get blue sewer sludge off of staying <laughs> off of a driveway?" So of course, being the good friend that I am, I took a picture, I took a screenshot of the text message and then put it and on my Instagram. And put it on his Instagram and, and got a good laugh out of it. Yeah. Well, I laugh yeah, at your misfortune. It's, you know it's, what I do. It's, it's all good. Yeah. I, I look, I, my wife and I were kind of like in a debate in the morning and when we cleaned out a tank, we forgot to close the tank. I capped it, but we didn't close the actual tank. And then we, it got filled with some fluid water and 
you know, I'm not going to gross you guys out, but <laughs> you know, I had like three to five gallons of blue sludge, um, explode all over my body. And, uh, yeah, Brandon, and now, uh, hundreds of thousands of other people will get a good yep. laugh, but yeah, great trip. Anyway, I'm back. You're back. I'm back. It's good to be back, man. And it's a good show to be back on. Today we have a a really, really good show uh, with a guy who achieved this financial freedom. He loves to travel and do a lot of what Josh is doing, like, you know, hiking around and doing cool stuff like that. 32. 32 years old. He achieved financial freedom through rental properties. Has over 100 units. Uh, You guys are going to hear a story today. So hang tight for that. But before we get to it. And it is attainable, by the way. It is. I mean, like, this guy, he's not not doing anything crazy. He's just, you know, being really smart, methodical and... If you want to achieve this, I mean, this is a fantastic show to listen to. Yeah, you'll love it. But before we get to the show, let's get to today's quick tip. Uh, Today's quick tip is something that uh, I mentioned later in the show as well, but I'll say it here. Uh, If you go to the BiggerPockets forums, biggerpockets.com slash forums, at the top in the navigation bar, uh, which by the way, the navigation bar is changing right now. So you'll probably see some changes to that. But in the navigation bar at the top, you're going to see a tab that says trending. I would highly recommend click on it and check it out. There's uh, always some really good conversations happening in there. It's actually where we usually pull the uh, fire round questions later in the show from. Uh, but yeah, go see what's, what's popular. What are the hot conversations on Bigger Pockets right now in the real estate space? You'll find some really good conversations in there. And you can chime in and, and offer your input or just kind of read and see what other people are doing. Here's your quick tip. Awesome. Awesome. Great. All right. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. 
Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Take control of your investments and secure more passive income today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. All right, guys, this is show 239 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 239. That's biggerpockets.com slash show 239. With that, if you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying the podcast, get out there. Share this podcast with your friends. This show today is about financial freedom. Who do you know that has been talking about it that needs a kick in the pants? Financial freedom. Who is it? We all know somebody. We all know multiple people. Tell them about it. Pass this along. Send a link to them. Share it with them. Help change their life. Help transform their life. Help transform. What? <laughs> transform. What? <laughs> what? Different type of show, Josh. Different I've type of show. I've been gone for a while. What have I been doing? Uh, help transform their life by by sharing this. Biggerpockets.com slash show 239. Wow. With that, let's get into this I'm thing. I was like I'd transform. I'm, I'm, I don't know where that came from. Uh, Today's show. Else. Today's show is a fantastic show. We talk about financial freedom. We talk about figuring out your end goal, reverse engineering in, in, in order to accomplish and get to that end goal, buying real estate in bulk. We cover dozens and dozens of topics within here. Today's guest is Austin. Let me let me not butcher this. Hold on. You're going to butcher free it. Sting. Austin, oh, free sting. Austin, free sting. I asked him to like, like, like sting like a bee and he said yes. Free sting. Yes. Even though it does Austin, not look like that sting. at all. Uh, in the KC area, and he's he's killing it. This guy is absolutely yeah. crushing it and has lots of stuff to share. So let's bring him on. Austin, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. Yeah, this, oh. should, be, this should be fun. So uh, let's talk about your story. I mean, today we're talking a little bit about financial freedom. Uh, I know that's a, a big theme around bigger pockets and around your life. So uh, but before we get there, let's go into how did you get started with real estate investing? Walk us through that journey. Okay. Yeah. Back in the fall of 2009, a friend of mine was like, dude, you really need to check out Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so I read that as like, okay, all this makes a lot of sense. So then I ran out a huge spreadsheet projecting financial projections for every scenario I could think of for like the next 30 plus years. And in every one of them, no matter how I sliced it up, putting the most amount of money into real estate investing got me to financial freedom much faster than any other method. So then I, you know, went to the bookstore. I think I spent like 300 bucks and just bought like every real estate book possible, started pouring over it. And then July 30th, 2010 was when I closed on my first property. Okay. And and just since then, you know, we've kept acquiring. So that's nine months from, Hey, you should read rich dad. You've gone and you've bought your first property. Yeah. 
how did, how did that happen? Because, you know, so many would be investors have that same first conversation that you guys had. And what follows is not a property in their hands nine months later. It's, you know, perseverating, it's fear, it's, uh, you know, all these different things that, that happen for different people. Um, how is it, and, you know, obviously we'll dive in on that property, but how was it that you were able to really get yourself to that first property from a mental perspective? What did you need to go through to, to get there? You know, 20 or 30 books and just pouring over every resource that I could. I mean, I just cranked through anything I could get my hands on as quickly as I could. I've never liked reading, but man, I could just sit down and read real estate book after real estate book after real estate book. And so. I, so you were motivated was, and excited. I mean, there was that motivation. Yeah, I mean, okay. So l- let me rephrase the question because again, I think everyone else who's in that same position is also motivated and excited, right? But there's that thing that stops them. You know, I think in most cases, Brandon, you and I have talked about this for years and years and years. It's typically some, some kind of fear. It's fear of stepping into the unknown. It's fear of, you know, all the things that can go wrong. Did you have fear or did you never have any fear? You're just like, I'm going to do it. I know enough that I need to know and I'm ready. Was it just that knowledge for you made it so fear didn't even exist? Well, I mean... Pretty much. I mean, I wouldn't really say that I was fearful going in at all because I'd always, you know, run my numbers really conservatively. So if I thought something was going to be between 200 and 300 for this expense, it was always 300 on my paper. So every expense got, you know, I would use the higher of all the numbers and then just made sure I had, you know, a buffer behind for any CapEx stuff that might come up and, and, and I mean, I, I, I think the, the fear is always going to be conquered by knowledge. Yep. Yeah. Like if you're fearful of something, there's something you don't know. There's something you're uncertain of. Yeah. And so figure out what the root of your fear is. And then, and then you'll know what inadequacies you have in your education. Yeah. And then seek th- out those answers. I think that's great. And, and I think the two examples you gave, the CapEx and the assumptions on expenses, yeah. you know, picking, picking the highest, I think that's a fantastic thing that everybody should do, Yeah, you know, and on CapEx, again, that's something where so many new investors and even experienced investors, they're like, oh, well, you know, I may not hold it for 30 years. The roof's going to be fine. Yeah. I don't yeah. have to worry about this. I don't have to worry about that. And, you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, I have no money. I have no reserves to take care of the the new boiler or whatever else yeah. it is because they they didn't think it through but if you plan like you're saying if you've got that plan you really think about it you map it out like the only thing that can go wrong is well you know you had to do x y and z to get to that next step you know all the steps you need right to take, right yeah it's like some of the stuff might you know kind of my worst case i was thinking some of the the big stuff might come up a little earlier than i would prefer it to happen but i mean it's it, the big stuff's going to happen. So cool. Awesome. I, mean, as long as I, prepared. I agree. I agree. And again, I, I love that tip too, about, you know, staying conservative in your numbers. It's really easy to want to fudge them, especially when you're having trouble finding a deal. It's like, well, yeah. I'll go with the, the lowest number. So anyway, I think that's a really good tip. So let's talk about that first deal. What was that? I mean, what was your very first investment? Okay. So I'm going to back up just sure. one step. My final semester of college, I negotiated a deal to buy a, just a little retail business 
in this little community right outside of Kansas City. And so I've I went straight into to taking over that. I was able to get it seller finance. You know, they were want they're ready to retire and move on. And so my first property was actually the building next door to that retail business. So it was a commercial building, but that's just a little of the backstory of why I was even interested in that at all was kind of to also control the space and what's happening around my existing business. So that's a great idea. And what what kind of business was it really quick? It was a flower shop. Really? You're a florist. Yeah, I, you know, I grew up on a farm, and then I worked construction during college, and then I bought a flower shop. I think that's the, <laughs> wow. the logical progression. You're, for, you're a tough guy. For that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, my my desire to do entrepreneurship was, you know, much greater than what the actual business was. Sure, sure. So, now, I look, was it a good business? The flower flower business? I mean, it, it made some money. So, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like a huge exploding. You know, that's that's also why they. We're looking to sell or finance, you know, some of those smaller retail shops that can support you if you're the owner and manager. You know, it's hard to find buyers for those. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Cool. So you you bought the first deal was the, a commercial deal, and it was the building next to your flower shop. Yeah, and it had a couple, had two commercial spaces, and then a lot of little apartments on the upper floors, and it needed it had been neglected for a long time. So we've had to do a lot of work to the commercial spaces. And then over time we started working a little bit on the, uh, on some of the apartments. How did you put that together? Like how did you finance that? I mean, you're just out of college here and also you're buying a commercial investment property. Well, it's in a smaller downtown. So it was, um, I think I, the purchase price was like one thirty-five, one forty. Okay. Where, but we immediately where, put Kansas, like probably 60, yeah, just outside of Kansas okay. City. Like I can get there. I, I live in downtown Kansas City now, and I can get there in forty minutes. Okay. So. So you paid one forty-ish uh, for it. Yeah, and then we immediately put about sixty into it as soon as we got it, and uh, and that just got the commercial spaces up and going, and got those rented out, and then worked on the apartments later. And another thing that I had done, thanks to some of Kiyosaki's stuff, was I had gone around and like talked to some banks about setting up lines of credit before I ever had a property on the horizon at all. Mm-hmm. Like just to have more uh, liquidity, more safety net, you know, to be able to pull from and do some of these projects. So is that, that where you finance yeah. the 60K? Yeah, most of that came from, yeah, just lines of credit. We, I mean, we had some cash sitting around, but uh, a lot of it came from, mm-hmm. probably two thirds of it came from just lines of credit. Also, really, really quickly. Yeah. Sorry, Brandon. No, ahead. I think we're having the same question. I'm, I'm back from a few weeks, so I'm, I'm like, I'm sharp, man. I'm sharp. All right. So, so for somebody who hears this, they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, it's great to be able to have access to, to that capital. How do I, as a newbie or somebody who's never done that, go to a bunch of banks and get lines of credit? What do I need to do? Uh, go to the bank and just talk to people and ask them for lines of credit until they give them to you. Who do you, t- I mean, who do you talk to at the bank? Uh, you know, I, I had a couple, um, there's some smaller banks that I, that I knew that I would, you know, just contact one person that I'd made a connection with through the business or on some of them just, I've just walked in and just said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for this. So, and Go, they'll, they'll direct the you person at the front desk will point you wherever you need to go. Just find so the best looking teller like, and go ask her. Yeah. 
skyscraper. So is it, is it literally like, Hey, I'm, I, you know, I'm looking to get into the real estate business. I'm going to be doing a, a bunch of projects. I'd love to get a line of credit so I can have access to capital for, so I can work on these projects. I mean, is that kind of the conversation? That you're um, I didn't tell him why I was going to need it or what I was planning on using it for. Um, just went in, just see what I would qualify for. And they'd either, you know, give it to you or they wouldn't. And, uh, so I'm guessing these are just like unsecured lines of credit, like just like, yep. a, okay. Yeah. My, uh, my in-laws recently bought a rental property in a couple of weeks before clo- or a couple of days before closing. They all of a sudden didn't ha- like the, the lend the loan they were going to do fell, fell apart and they couldn't do it. And they ended up just going to a local bank and going in there and just getting an unsecured line of credit that covered the entire property. Like it purchased the entire deal, like no money down. Wow. And it was just an unsecured line of credit. Um, Explain guys what unsecured means to, to the people who don't get it. Yeah, it just means that they're, you know, there's no asset that they can claim if you default on it. It's just based off your personal credit and, you know, however they want to underwrite you and whatever they're willing to lend you. I mean, it's essentially like a credit card, you know, with a certain limit, except, you know, it's usually in the five to eight percent interest. Got it. Cool. 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 All right. So you bought this first property, the like two commercial spaces. Like, what was that like getting them rented out? Cause I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'll be honest. Like I'm freaked out a little bit about commercial properties because I have this fear that I'm going to buy one and then it's going to sit empty for four years. Cause there's areas, you know, I see commercial buildings in my area that have been empty for four or five, 10 years. Yeah. I don't own that building anymore. Um, and you know, looking, everything worked out. I, I had the right connections at the time I was in the community and even right before I bought it, I knew there was like the largest space, like used to be a bakery and it became a restaurant. Like I knew there was a new restaurant coming to town looking for a place and I knew I could sell them on, um, on the space, even though I hadn't even closed on it or bought it yet. Like he was interested enough. He was willing to wait until I've finished it up. And, uh, but yeah, looking back, you know, I wouldn't recommend doing commercial for, especially your first investment. I don't have any plans on doing any additional commercial. What, what helped was there were all the little apartments too. So even if I was sitting empty in the commercial space, I could probably still break even on the building. How many apartments were there? There were 12 little apartments. Um, you know, there were like, it was, they were kind of one step above homelessness. Um, (laughs) you know, most of the tenants came from like, uh, the Catholic charity services and other, um, places like that. There were four apartments that were like one bedroom They're with rooms. their own kitchen and bath. And then the other eight were, you know, four in a hallway, like two room rooms and they sh- shared a bathroom at the end of the hall. Okay. Got it. Interesting. And, and, and so like all, I don't know if you remember the numbers, but like what, what kind of cash flow was that thing generating and how much did you sell it for and why'd you sell it ultimately? Well, I sold it because somebody came to me and asked me if I wanted to sell it. Then they gave me a, a price that was made it willing to sell. Um, I think we had just over right around or just over 7,000 in gross rents. Uh, there were a, a lot of really high expenses with that, you know, like over a thousand bucks a month in in utilities. But, you know, when it was full up and I wasn't having to continually improve, you know, it cash flowed very, very well. But for the first year or so, it all just went to paint off the lines of credit that I used to get it up and going. And and then when I sold it, I actually used all that cash to pay off my business loans so that I could eventually sell uh, that flower shop 
and uh, which I did two years ago. And, you know, I had to sell or finance that as well. So nice. Okay. All right. So before, before we move on, you're 200K and you paid 140, you're 60 and, you know, you're doing 7K in gross rents. What did you end up getting out of that thing for? I was able to sell it for uh, 285. And nice. I would say all in, I was probably about 220, 30. Okay. So somewhere not, in, not a bad, not first, a bad deal. first deal. Yeah. yeah you, didn't, no. you didn't lose money. You learned I, a lot. I held, I held it for a few years, made some good money in the interim. And yeah, and then it allowed me to sell my day job. Cool. Awesome. All right. So what came next? I mean, well, actually, before I ask you that, let's go to the end of your story. How many total units do you have now? And then we're going to go back to what came next. Okay. Uh, I have a total of 141 rental units across 58 properties. Wow. Okay. So you've done a lot in the last few years. So let's go back then yeah. and say, how did you, how did you get there? Walk us through the next few deals that you, that you bought. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, in 2011, you know, I bought a couple duplexes and two houses that I ended up just flipping the houses, just picked up some cheap foreclosures and yeah, and then just a couple duplexes that year. And then, you know, the next year, like a six unit and a few houses and, you know, just kept adding whenever I could. I had no set plan. It was like, I want to add this many here, this many here. It was just when, when the right deal was there, I'd do whatever it took to get it done. Nice. That's cool. That's cool. So you were looking at residential properties mostly. Um, yes. I'm, I'm assuming only you weren't doing commercial anymore. It's got the same. Yeah, no, no commercial okay. anymore. Okay. And how are you, how, I mean, how are you finding them? How are you funding them? Um, pretty much. All of them came from um, the MLS, okay. except there was a set of three homes that the bank that I worked with contacted me. It was like, hey, we have these three homes. You want to buy them from us in a little package deal and we'll set it up like this. So other than that, all those first many deals just came just off the MLS. And I would usually try the the Burr method. And I didn't know that term at the time, but you know the, the value add and I would use just traditional financing, you know, 70%, 75% loan to value and use my lines of credit for oftentimes even the down payment for that and the rehab costs and then refinance it after and repeat, repeat. Yep. Over and over and over. Awesome. I forgot the repeat. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, so on, on that, those three homes, you know, that's, that's interesting. You know, we've certainly had people on the show who have had similar things um, in your case, again, somebody listening is like, oh, that's so cool. Like, how great would it be if all of a sudden, like, the bank came to me and was telling me about properties that they wanted to get rid of? I'm like, you don't even have to negotiate with with other people. You don't have to fight for yeah. it. You just negotiate direct with the with the bank. So how how does one position themselves, or at least how did you position yourself in a way that that became a possibility? Yeah, so uh, the, this bank that gave them to me, they were – it's a bank that I have pretty much used for all of my stuff, except some of the lines of credit. You know, those were established other places. But as far as all of my real estate loans, I mean, they have almost every single one of them. And so I just had the relationship of continuing to buy and they they got their payments every month. And anytime I was rehabbing, I had it, you know, done within a reasonable amount of time and, you know, done to the level that I set it said I was going to do it. So, I mean, I just always followed through on whatever, you know, whether it be the loan or the, they, they did finance a couple of my, uh, partially financed some of the rehabs that I did as well. And, you know, I was 
always on schedule and on budget. And so, yeah, it was just the relationship built after proving myself and paying them a lot of money every month. That's cool. And I, awesome. I think, I think so much of like businesses like that, right? Like if you do what you say you're going to do and you prove yourself dependable, people are going to want to work with you. You know, it's, yeah. we talked about that last week, I think or maybe two weeks ago on the podcast about, you know, open up a checking account with the bank that you eventually want to work with and start talking with them and building those relationships. Kind of like you did at the beginning with the, with the lines of credit. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's wise. So l- let's talk about like, you mentioned earlier, you didn't really have a plan or a strategy. You were just kind of buying. I mean, like that happened. Like, did you ever actually say, okay, now I'm going to be committed to doing this a certain way? Or have you always kind of acquired your property just kind of as they came? Well, I, I mean, I always knew this was, I was playing the long game. So I had my, my long goal of the financial freedom. And to do that, I want to be able be maximizing my cash on cash return. And so if the deal wasn't there, you know, especially like for the value add or because I also knew, well, the Burr method, I knew that's how I was going to move the fastest. So if there wasn't the deal where I could purchase it and get it fixed up and get the right rents to get it refinanced, you know, if those deals weren't there, I would just sit around and wait till they did. I, I think some people get caught up in like, I want this many properties by this date and this many properties by this date. And I mean, I guess if you're buying turnkey, I mean, I wouldn't do that, but whatever. But it all depends on, you know, that end goal. And with my end goal being the financial freedom, you know, actually in 2015, I didn't buy a single property because I just didn't find any deals that I liked. Nice. Really? Okay. So I've got, I got a number of questions. One, you, uh, you poo pooed turnkey really quick. Why is that? I mean, I think if you want to be, it would never have served my goals. I don't see the the rent to purchase ratios that I would ever be interested in. The lack of control. You don't have the you know the hands on. You you don't get to add the value. You don't get to force the appreciation and you know force the rental increases. I mean, you're you're just giving money and letting somebody else do completely everything. Yeah. And I think it makes it'd sense. Be, yeah. Makes you know sense. I'm less than seven years. Well, at the time we're recording this less than seven years from purchasing my first property and, you know, and we're financially free. We have, you know, 141 units and that's definitely not going to happen with trying yeah. to be a passive turnkey investor. Well, so how, how, do you mind, how old are you? Like how, how old did you, when you got financial freedom, like were you? 32. 32. I mean, that's really good. You know, like a lot of people are listening to this and they're like, man, I'm like 50 years old and I still don't have it. Um, look, well, look, I know where you're going, yeah. Brandon. I, I want to dip in for a second here go ahead. because b- b- before you go to where you're going to go, um, mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure that there is like financially free is kind of a fuzzy word, right? Or set of words. Yeah. Like financial freedom for you is going to be different than financial freedom for Brandon who has a car habit, who's <laughs> financially free is different for, you know, somebody else. Right. Um, yeah. Sure. So, you know, financially free for one guy, maybe, you know, ramen noodles every night and never going out on a date with his spouse and, and maybe, maybe every five to 10 years taking a day off. Right. So for, for everyone listening, like there are tiers of financial freedom. Obviously, yeah. Austin, I'm assuming that you went and said, hey, what is my lifestyle? How much do we spend? How much do we need to live how we want to live? And your financial freedom is how much I need to make every month in order to achieve the lifestyle that I'm happy with. Correct. Right. Exactly. We started with not even like 
you know, what's our lifestyle now? We we thought about, okay, if we weren't working, what would our ideal day, week, month, and year look like? And we just mapped out the ideal or what we thought would be ideal or close to ideal. And then we reverse engineer and then we'd be like, okay, so if we wanted to go out to eat this many times a week, okay, we average probably this much between the meal and a couple drinks. And, and so that would be this much. And, and so we didn't think about the budget at all. We thought about the, we designed the lifestyle that we would want and then calculated how much that would cost. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And I think everyone should do it. Frankly, what's funny is like, I'm on another document writing, Julie, we need to sit down and write how much we really need to make every month. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, yeah, we've never, we've never done that. We've always kind of like, oh, okay. You know, we, we should know like, Hey, you know, your kids are in high school. Do you want to pay for a private school? You know, college, are you going to pay for college? How are you going to pay for college? All that stuff. You know, the vacations, all the trips, all that stuff, like really mapping that out so you can think it through. I'm assuming you did that. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, before we had done that, you know, I had just picked some arbitrary target and I don't know if I was saying 150 or 200,000 a year kind of post tax or whatever, but then I started thinking, I was like, well, what, like, yeah, we need to sit down and actually calculate what the number is. And when we mapped out our ideal lifestyle, and I mean, and this has like $1,500 a month for travel, we, we even talked, okay, how many bottles of wine or bourbon do we want to go through in a, yeah, in a month? Like, okay, what's that going to tally up to? And, and we did that and it, we came out, you know, around 84,000 a year, you know, way less than I had initially yeah. thought that I would want to live kind of my happiest existence per se. So that's cool. That's- Fantastic. You know what I love about real estate is that like real estate investing gives you the ability to like work backwards, you know, from, okay, now that I've, I've got that target monthly income or target annual income, how many rental properties is that? Like what, yeah. what cash and cash return do I need? Or what, you know, if I buy a hundred units and I'm averaging a hundred dollars per month per unit, that's, you know, 10 grand a month there. I did it, you know, like very few investments you can do. I mean, I could go buy Tesla stock, you know, and I could hope that it goes up in price. And I'm not saying people shouldn't buy stocks, but like there's just something really cool about real estate, being able to work backwards to a number that says, this is what I need to do. This is how I'm going to get there. This is, you know, like, I, I love that stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to just cut you off. Brandon, cut me off. Say, too much. I've had, I've had too much tonight. You, yeah, too much, <laughs> too much. To drink. No, you, you can do that with stocks, but yeah, in a market like now, you can't. I mean, it's the same thing. Look, appreciation versus dividends, right? I mean, dividends are kind of the same thing as rental income. It's, you know, ideally it's predictable. There's companies with long track records of growing dividends, things like that. Um, You have the control in this case and dividends, you know, if you're lucky, you get a 4% dividend from a stock versus real estate where you can get that, you know, much much higher cash in cash. But like, you know, I don't want a a thousand percent poo poo stocks and stocks are terrible, but I don't own any. We're not going to get into this debate. Yeah. Interesting point. I did do the math on how much cash it would have taken me to, if I were invested in the market over the seven years to hit this goal. And, you know, there's a 25 time rule or the 4% rule, meaning you need 25 times whatever your annual income needs are in a stock portfolio in order for an indefinite retirement. And if I would have, 
it would have been like $1.65 million that I would have had to put in personally over seven years because there's no, yep. you know, you're not getting hardly any compounding yeah. benefits in that time. And, well, how much, and how I much only you, have $150,000 yeah. of my own money into yeah. real estate. Yeah. And right. that's where I would say the biggest benefit to real estate. Yes. Why? Yeah. Right. Is like the ability to not necessarily do like no money down or low money down, but to pull cash out, to be able to, to put it into different things, to get creative with the financing, to bring in partners, to bring in banks, right. the birth strategy, all that stuff, you know, like, yeah, when people compare, Hey, I'm getting 10% on my, uh, on my investment from, you know, whatever stock, like that's great. Like I'm getting an infinite return on my investment because I yeah, put nothing exactly. into a deal, you know? So you're making a hundred dollars a month. I'm making a hundred dollars a month, but you put, you put whatever, tens of thousands of dollars into a deal, I put nothing, you know? So like, and again, it's not one way or the other, like it all works, but that's yeah. one thing I like about but, it. Hey, before, before we move on, I know Brandon, you've got one or two questions. I, I, I've got my, my, the last thing I'm really thinking about here is, okay. And, and I, I think we should ask this question more be, because of just sheer timing yeah, you know, KC market's been pretty pretty slow and steady. It's been pretty pretty reserved and safe over over you know a, a fairly decent amount of time. What do you do if the market turns? I mean, you know, people are talking that the market's a little toppy in in lots of areas. Lots of investors are starting to you know have really leveraged themselves out. So if the market drops X percent, you know, we start seeing rents start to fall. Things happen. How do you deal with that? Have you have you thought about that? Have you planned for that? Or you yeah, see it when um, you know, with most of my rentals, I mean, the the rent rates are not going to really drop. I'm not in high end rentals. I mean, I probably average around seven, maybe seven fifty a month and yeah. per unit in rent. So in that tier, like your rents aren't going to drop a lot. And so if if the market turns, which you know, there will be a correction at some point. I mean, it's always going through cycles. I don't know if that's coming now or another five years or, right. you know, I will never try to predict that. Sure. All, all I hope is that I have quite a bit of capital available at that time to buy as much as I can. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah and, that, and that's my plan for it going down is to just acquire as much as I can. Cause I'm a long-term buy and hold for the financial freedom, passive income. So the only time the market value of my properties matters is if I'm going to sell it or refinance it. Yeah. Yeah. So what what is, let's define that long-term because, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm a long-term buy and hold and it's every three years. Well, you know, that's obviously not long-term, but what, what, what is long-term as you see it? Life? Is it Warren Buffett? I, I buy it with the expectation I'm never going to sell it. Very possibly. Yeah. I have no intentions of, I've, I've got good teams in place. And so it only takes me probably an hour a week worth of work to stay on top of everything. So, wow. so that, that was actually even my next question is, you know, we oh. talk about financial freedom with rental properties and I'll say, well, you know, if you own a hundred rental units, that's not, you know, that's, that's 40, 50, 60 hours a week of work, isn't it? But like, how are you, how are you doing that with so little work? I mean, I have really good property managers. I mean, that's the biggest key. I mean, that's, that's where all your work is. And so since I, trust them and they do a good job. You know, the, the majority of my monthly work is just on the back end bookkeeping side, updating QuickBooks for every LLC that I have. And, you know, then answering just a couple questions here and there for the property managers on any, on any bigger issues that might've come up. And other than that, you know, they just, I trust them to just go with it and 
Yeah, my main property manager actually started that company because I didn't trust the ones at the time. And so I started that company and then I recruited these people. It was like, hey, this business would be perfect for you guys. And and here's why. And, you know, they saw it and they've been I mean, they've grown it like crazy. And so it's worked out for for all of us. Okay, so did I mishear you? You said you started your own management property management firm because you couldn't find a competent property management firm where you were, and then you found managers to come and fill fill the boat. So, how how many managers do you have working at your firm? Oh no, it's not my. Um, oh, it's not okay, my firm so at all. I misunderstood it. Okay, I, I started it up and got it up to about fifty some units, and I had an employee that. Um, was handling quite a bit of it, but he left. And so I was kind of at a crossroads between my other business, trying to do my own real estate thing and with rehabs and, um, yeah, and the other business and everything else. I was like, okay, so I, I've got to really kind of figure it out here. And, and so at that point I, I actually decided to, to sell the business got it. if I could. And I went to these people that i would trust with my properties and, you know, convince them that it was the right business for them. Got it. Got it. Got it. So h- how do you find a good property manager? Cause you know, if you're that hands off, I mean, you wholeheartedly trust these guys. How, how do you vet these people? How do you find somebody who's, who's qualified to do it at least for you? You know, I, I just, I had a personal relationship with these people. I mean, the ones that I sold the business to. So I have not had to act, like actively search for a new property manager um, at any other time. So I haven't had to actually go through that process, but it would, it would just come back to like knowing what all goes into property management. And then, you know, I would say interviewing the people. And if you know what all goes into it, you know, you can reverse engineer that too and know what to expect, what questions to ask, what might be red flags. And yeah, that it's definitely one of the trickier parts in the in the industry. Yeah. All right. So you yeah. you buy a number of properties a year. You've got your property management set. Your you said your hours on accounting. Um. Obviously, you're spending your time also on the acquisition side. Is that just kind of like, you know, kind of passive? Like, oh, you know, I'll spend a, a twenty minutes looking at the MLS to see if something new pops up. How how are you kind of finding your deals, or at least from a time perspective? Yeah. So the hour a week is uh, my maintenance time. That's not my new acquisition time. Like, yeah, that, that hour a week's just the monthly bookkeeping and the year end tax stuff and, yeah. and all of that combined out on the acquisition side, you know, even though we've reached our financial freedom, I'm just doing this because I like doing it. So it's more, I don't time any of that. Like I love just sitting down, like clicking through and looking at properties and kind of running through possibilities. Uh, the difference is I'm looking at larger packages and portfolios now. So those are, you know, much fewer than trying to sit down and look at every duplex, but I still will do that because one of my largest, actually my largest deal came from, there was one property on the market. I looked it up and and I always do a tax search and I knew this person owned a lot of property. And so it was kind of a red flag for why he might be selling just the one. So I called around until somebody gave me his personal cell phone number and I called him up and talked to him. And he's like, well, yeah, we're looking to retire in the next three to five years and we'll probably be unloading 
you know, everything over time. I was like, well, that's great because I would rather do a package deal. And we ended up buying, um, you know, 80 units from him. Oh, wow. Wow. 80 units from one person. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. amazing. It was that all in one, like, was that a portfolio of houses or was it a bunch of properties or what was that? It had everything from single family houses up to a 24 unit. Wow. And how did you, unit. let's, t- let's talk about putting together that deal. That's pretty impressive. I mean, I, first of all, like, how did you approach that with him in terms of, Hey, do you have anything more I can buy? Hey, can I buy your can I, portfolio? Can I step back one? Can I step sure. one back one, Brandon? So you said you did a, a tax search, like for somebody who's brand yeah. new, who's never done that. All right. You, you've, you're looking at this property. You said you'd look at, do a tax search on every property. What does that mean? And how does one do that? Yeah. You just get on your, it's usually just going to be on your uh, county's website and you can search the property address and it'll give you the valuation according to the county, the property taxes, the annual property taxes pay. And it'll also give you the owner's information. Got it. So now you know the owner's name. How do you get the owner's cell phone? I call up my contacts at banks and the, the know him and, um, and other contacts. So somebody was like, Oh yeah, I've got his information. I started with just asking for his email. Uh, but the, the person that gave me the information was like, uh, sometimes he's a little slower on the email. Just call his cell phone. Here you go. Yeah. So you're calling, but you know, there's tons of banks out there. How do you know what banks to call? How do you know what people to talk to, to see if you can even get there? Yeah. Uh, the community I'm in right outside of right on the edge of Kansas city is a smaller community. So there's only a few community banks in the area. So it wasn't too hard. And just being in, you know, it's, it's a Leavenworth, Kansas, which, you know, is about 40, 50,000 people. Yeah. People just know people. Um, it's like just small enough. So the logic that you presume is this, right? It's, Hey, this guy's got a lot of properties. He's obviously an active real estate investor or was at some point. If he got to the point where he has that many properties, he either had a ton of money on his own or he had to work with the local banks. Let me start with the banks and see if they can help yeah. me out. Yep. Okay. I just, just again, so, so folks who don't understand this can follow the line of thinking. That makes a lot of sense. And, and that's great. So you get to this guy, Brandon, now take over from your, your, your questions. Well, yeah. So how, do, how does that conversation go? Like if somebody's listening to the show right now that wants to do it, the same kind of process, what should they do? Um, yeah, I just called him and said, Hey, you know, this is who I am. I see you have this property over here on, at this address for sale. Do you mind if I ask why you're selling? And that's when he said, well, yeah, we're looking to retire in this amount of time and we'll be slowly unloading things over the next three to five years and told my wife we'd move to Florida after we retire. So, nice. yeah, it was just kind of an awkward little conversation <laughs> with somebody I hadn't met before. And Well, you know what's what's interesting about contacting landlords or or other investors about real estate is that, you know, if you contact a homeowner, I mean, nine times out of ten – they're not going to want to sell because they like living in their houses. But if you contact most investors, like most investors are willing to sell if the price is right. Like, and for a lot of them, people are just not good at being landlords. I'm not saying that guy was or wasn't, but like 
a lot of people are really, really terrible at owning rental properties and they yeah. just have headaches and they don't have systems and they're not good at what they do. They don't listen to the Bigger Pockets podcast. So like I, I, I suggest to newbies all the time, you know, if you're having trouble finding deals, a very simple thing you can do, even if you have no money at all, is go on Craigslist, go onto the, like the actual for rent listings and like landlords are on there, like look for the mom and pop landlords. I mean, they give you their phone number in the ad. Like how much, e- how, how much easier can you get? Like they're like here, you know, like, yeah, look for the, brilliant. yeah, the crappy ads on there that are just like three bedroom, two bedroom apartment and call them and, and do it on a weekly basis. I mean, set up a time every week for two hours. You do nothing but call landlords on your area. And I bet you half of them will entertain a conversation about selling because yeah. they suck at being a landlord. Yeah. So it's great. That's, that's a great, great idea. Thank hey, you. Austin. On that, on that package, you know, I, I don't need to know all the details. So, I mean, you said 80 units, but presumably you buy something like that. You're going to get some kind of discount for that package. You're not paying retail for the property. So, you know, all, all said, what kind of discount did you get for that monster portfolio? Well, I'm trying to, I don't even remember what his first price that he threw out for every, because he started with a whole list of stuff. And I went and drove by every property and, you know, scratched a few of them off. And, and then I just kind of put together the packages I wanted and said, I, I would pay, you know, this for it. And yeah. we went back and forth. So it's hard I to mean, say what, uh, yeah, guesstimate, you know, was. from retail, uh, let's assume retail. And then, but you know, 80, I would say, of retail. yeah, probably around there, maybe even a, a touch under, um, yeah. but it's pretty good. Yeah. Nice That's job. Good. Well done, man. Yeah, that's very cool. So thanks. Awesome. All right. Before we, before we move on to the fire round, I'm curious, like where, where are you headed next? And what's your, I know you're saying you do this now. It's retired, time. baby. You're I'm retired, done. but uh, like, yeah, but I still love it. Yeah. We, lo- we uh, love like, it. I just closed on a 32 unit deal one month ago. Yeah. What, what, what was that deal? Where was it at? In the same area? Uh, yeah. Up in the same area. And it was a seller that, I mean, they had listed everything on the MLS at once. And I was probably one of the only or few that came with an offer to buy, to buy it all is eight properties, 32 units. So, and this one might actually be, I think by the end, the best deal that I've done. Really? Let's, let's talk about that. I mean, what were the numbers like on that? Uh, current rents are 16,700 a month. Uh, picked it up for a million 62. And if we put about, 150 to 180,000 in total, I can get the rents up to about 24,000 a month. Wow. And so, you know, we would be right at about 1.25 all in for the purchase and the, and the value add. Uh, but a lot of that value add, we're going to be able to pay for out of cash flow as well over the and first two years. You've increased, uh, from, your, your uh, from, 50%. Yeah. 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 From me. Awesome. Just under seventeen thousand, about twenty four thousand. So, that's great, man. So yeah, I'm only spending a hundred. It was already at a pretty decent ratio, but then I'm only spending one hundred eighty thousand for you know an additional seven thousand in rent. So, so how did you find? I mean, how do you put together a finance financing on a big package like that? I work with a um, portfolio lender. Okay. You know, for those of you listening, that's uh, the banks that service all their investment loans in house, as opposed to selling them off. Uh, they have more flexibility in what they're doing. You usually probably put, pay maybe an extra quarter percent or whatever, but the ease of getting through the system is so much, so much easier because if, if the guy making this decision to loan you the money likes the deal, you know, that that's all it really takes. Yeah. 
And again, I've been working largely with the same bank over time. So I even uh, called up the the VP that I work with there and just said, hey, I'm about to submit this offer that just came on the market today. Would you shoot me over a pre-approval letter for this? He's like, well, yeah, it'll say subject to like appraisal and board approval since it was over a certain amount. And I'm like, that's fine. The, the, the seller, it's just going to look like a pre-approval letter from the seller. I mean, to the seller. And so I'm just looking for any little advantage to to get the deal locked up. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. Awesome. What'd you have to put oh. for down payment on that? Oh, yeah. We put just like 106000 Okay. Um, you put 106k, so you did 10% down. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's great. That that came over time too. You know, after the years of proving myself with the bank, yep. they would start doing things where if I could buy correctly, you know, they would lend 70% of the appraised value as long as I put a minimum 10% down. So if I was buying under 80% of the appraised value, yeah, they'd let me purchase with just uh, 10% down. That's fantastic. And again, another benefit of working with like portfolio lenders, the small local banks that can do that and be creative, Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll work things like that because it's a win-win for them. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, at the beginning you just get your typical loans from them and everything else. But as long as you keep proving yourself, um, yeah, it opens up some other doors like that. Yeah. Fantastic. It's one thing that I, I, I should have done a lot more of. I mean, I've done a lot of like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac mortgages and I would shop around trying to find the cheapest rate everywhere. I like looking back, I should have just picked one good lender, one good bank and probably done the majority of my stuff with them. Cause like my, the thing I hate most about real estate really is like paperwork and having to get mortgages and refinances and all that. Like this stuff drives me nuts. But when you work with a good lender, like they have your information. I mean, it's worth the quarter percent or half percent you might pay extra. Yeah. At the end of the year, when I get my taxes, I email my new taxes to them so they have them on file. And then like maybe if I've bought anything, I update my schedule of real estate owned and that's all I ever have to do for them. Yeah, I love that. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about our business. We work with one of the monster mega banks and, you know, like everything is a pain in the ass. Yep. And like, you know, like why why do I do this? I just need to work with a local bank. Like, you know, we've got a great business. They will be so much more amenable to everything that I need and want and ask for. And like, you know, all right, whatever. I'm like, (laughs) I'm on it. I'm on it. All right, Austin, this is great. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic stuff. I think it's time, man. What do you think, Brandon? I think it's time for the world famous fire round. It's time for the fire round. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. 
hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with creditworthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. All right, let's get to today's fire round. These questions, of course, come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which our listeners can get to by going to biggerpockets.com forward slash forums. 
And just a quick tip for people. Uh, I actually think this is kind of cool. If you go to the forums and you go to the navigation bar when you're there, there's a little option that says trending, which is kind of cool. So if you guys are like, you know, what's the most trending popular stuff going on in the forums, go check it out sometime. It's kind of cool. That's where actually I get a lot of these questions from. So anyway, number one, I'm looking for advice. We have a rental property, which is infested with German cockroaches because the tenants are unclean. My property manager visited and sprayed the place, but it was not effective. He saw food all around the house and the general condition was filthy. Now we are planning to get pest control company to take immediate action, but is there a way to penalize a tenant for failing to keep the property, to upkeep the property? So, so I, I got to ask you a quick question before you even answer No, this that. was not Austin. my question, but be, be, Because Austin's rocking headphones with what? the red and black stripes of Germany. Oh. And <laughs> you happen to pick a question. About German cockroaches. Talking about German yeah. roaches, man. That's kind of mm. messed up. You know, I'm guessing I'm, they're a little more aggressive and bigger <laughs> and stronger. Than, <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Uh, just anyway, wow. So what what do you do about the do you make the, do you make do you make the tenants pay for them or what do you do? Man, I mean that all is going to depend on your state's landlord tenant laws, how your lease is written up. Yeah, you know, I mean there's so many factors that are going to go into what you can actually do. Yeah. In that case, but what would you do? You know, no matter. You no matter you get a call from a property manager who tells you that problem. What do you do? Yeah, uh, we would, you know, we would, we would pay to spray, but we'd also, you know, let them know, hey, like they're on thin ice. I think we do have some clauses in there that would that that amount of uncleanliness would be considered kind of a breach of the lease, and we would be able to get them out pretty quickly if we wanted to. Yeah, that's actually happened to me a few times with the roaches, like and. Uh, it's always house? because, no, not my house, in my tenant's house. And it's always because like, it's really nasty living conditions. We'll usually at that point, like the first time we might pay to spray, like, but we, even in our leases now, it says like after 30 days, it's your responsibility. So we'll bill them if they don't yeah. pay it. But then we usually just ask them to leave. We'll just give them notice. Hey, you're out. Sometimes, you know, if, you, if your houses are close together, if you spray this house over or if, you know, your neighbor had cockroaches and they sprayed here, yep. it usually doesn't kill them. What it does is they... Psh, Yep, and so, yep. so sometimes you can end up with roaches and it's not even a uncleanliness thing. It's like, yep. oh, my neighbor was really dirty. Yeah. And, hey, Brandon, and those roaches were, yeah. were German roaches. They were actually pit bulls. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. All right. All right. Next question. Nice question. Soon, many of us, quote, newbies will be making their first moves in the REI world. It's quite a daunting idea that seems to overwhelm a lot of first-time buyers for various reasons. One reason that I've recently run into while searching for my first MFH home in Louisville is that uh, multifamily is yeah. What exactly gives me a competitive advantage? Okay, so that's the question. What sets me apart from the experienced investors in my area? How can I get a good deal when I'm going out against the big dogs? How does somebody new compete against somebody like you in trying to acquire a property? I mean, that's, you don't, Uh, (laughs) I mean, you you know, I mean, I'm not going to go sit down with the chess masters of the world and be like, Hey, how do I like, and expect to get an advantage on these, you know, people that have put in so many hours in, in, of study. I mean, what you need to do is, you know, to improve your chances. I mean, you're not ever going to have a competitive advantage against a pro. I mean, that's just probably not going to happen, but all of us that are pros started as complete novices and beginners too. Yep. 
so, you know, it's about the amount of time you put in. So with your study and knowledge and education and, you know, especially in, a, in today's market, I think that speed is probably the number one factor yep. in just getting that offer, getting that offer in. Like when you see that great deal that, you know, he's alluding to in this, in this post, you, you have to be confident enough to act quickly and get your offer in to, ha- to have a chance. Cause guys like me, I'll, I'll, I will just see it. And I'm like, yep, that's, I know that's a great deal. Here's my offer without even going to see the property and shoot it in. And yep, so, I'm yeah, you way. just, you gotta be quick. Mm-hmm. I sit down. All right. Next question. I'm currently a senior in college and I'm giving thought to where I want to live once I graduate in May. I want to invest in buy and hold properties with good cash flow. And I've heard Austin's a good place to live, but the market's too saturated. So I want to pick a good real estate city because I want to invest full time there. Where would you invest if you could move anywhere in the country? Where would I, or where should I, where where should they, where should they, where would I be like, where should they? Yeah. If you're giving them advice, where should they move to? If they can go anywhere in the country, the open book, like it's you know blank slate. I would say move wherever you're going to be happiest living. Okay. Like and figure out a strategy even, that works. Even if it adds like an extra couple years onto your, you know, acquisition time for your goals, who cares if you're enjoying those two years a lot more than just going out and living in some miserable little <laughs> place because they you don't enjoy it all. Like in, insert Detroit joke here, Josh s- says the guy <laughs> who's financially free and doesn't have to worry about it. No, I'm just kidding. No, but yeah. you, you, you found a place that you lived in where that can happen. Right. Yeah. And so what you're saying is like, if, you know, Hey, don't just go to, <clears throat> as Brandon says, uh, Detroit, because <laughs> you know, you can buy property very little, hopefully still, um, or hopefully not still and make a good yield from it. Um, if you would hate living in Detroit, don't go to Detroit, right? Go, go find some city on the map yeah. that you're happy at. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I probably could have retired even sooner if, but you know, there were things like we did big trips, traveling, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the, uh, what's the analogy? Like, I'm not going to, going to be the guy that gives up a glass of wine now for the promise of one 40 years from yep. now in retirement. Like, yep. no, you can you figure out a way to do, to do all things. Like, Fair enough. I like that. Excellent. I like that. Yeah. I think Excellent. people oftentimes right. will like, we get into real estate because we want financial freedom, but then you work for 20 years flipping houses and wholesaling all this. And at the end of the day, like, what did you really do? You know, like you, you take your yeah. eye off the end game and uh, yeah. anyway, that's about life now and life later. So cool. All right. Last all right. question of the fire. Last question. With so many landlords on here, and he's referring to on bigger pockets, and so many good tips always being shared for newbie landlords, uh, you got. I'm curious, what has personally been the best few pieces of advice that you've gotten as a landlord? So, what are your best landlord tips that um, to you? Well, you you've got to. I mean, these are more just from my experience. I sure. I can't remember anything from, you know, books were my mentor. I mean, that was all I used. I think the biggest thing is just making sure you treat it like a business, that every part of it is business. You know, at the beginning, I would, I was proud to own real estate and I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm the owner of this duplex. And, you know, felt proud about that when I was, you know, 25 or six and I had these rental properties and everything. And man, when they know you're the owner, that's when they want to come and be like, Oh, well, you know, can you just grant us some leniency on this one, this one month? We promise this will be it. And like, 
and not charge us the late fee. And, you know, you want to be a compassionate person. And, and so you grant that and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And so as when I just started saying, nope, I am the property manager. Yep. And again, just treating everything like a business. Yep. I think that's smart. I think it's very Excellent. smart. I think people, yep. yeah, they, I, you know, and on that, I know this is fire around, so we gotta be quick, but uh, like on that note, people are the compassionate thing, right? Like a lot of people think like to be a landlord, I don't know, like it's a jerk to enforce the lease or it's, you're being a jerk if you're going to enforce a late fee, but you want to be nice, but yeah. And you're not, you're, but they yeah. will make you feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, but ultimately like, I, I like to think of it now this way, like when you enforce a late fee, yeah, you're charging someone 50 bucks or whatever. What that's actually helping the tenant in almost every case, it helps the tenant. Cause if you don't do that, like their na- human tenant nature is to like, they pay late one month, the next month, if you let them off, they're going to pay late again. And like you become a lower priority and eventually it ends with an eviction. And so like you're saving them by 50 bucks, you're saving them from eventually getting evicted Yeah, and you're keeping them, keeping them honest, I guess is how I look you're at training it. Them. You're training you're them. You're training them, yeah. them and, 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 you know, maybe building character. They yeah. were not quote trained or had little character beforehand and, and <laughs> you know it's helpful so yeah no yeah. i i you know and and some people have said well it's you're being dishonest by telling somebody you're not the owner but you're the manager if you're the manager and the owner but look if you're uh, putting the tenant in and advertising for lease are you not the manager no, that's like, that's exactly that's right. the role you're in and no i i think what you're saying is like look there's uh, i'm not accusing you of it i'm just saying like no this I, is I, a debate that we've heard from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, look, there's disclosure and there's like, oh, I also have yeah. $683,052 <laughs> in the bank. I also have X, Y, and Z. Like yeah. there's disclosure it, and then there's like, you don't need to know who owns the building. I'm the manager. So that's and, and all you need to know. If you know, class A rentals and you're talking 1500 2500 a month in rent, yeah. you know, those are the easiest ones to manage. I mean, so right. yeah, that's really easy to be like, I'm the owner. When you start getting down into these you know, CEC plus properties, yep. B minus properties, that's, th- those tenants are a lot tougher to manage and it's just Correct. a lot easier to have that separated out. Awesome. All, All right. right. Well, before let's we get out of here, let's get to our last segment of the show, which we lovingly refer to as our famous four. All right. These are the four same questions we ask every guest every week. Number one, out of all the real estate books you've read, what is your favorite real estate related book? You know, obviously is talks about how I got started. I've got to give it to Rich Dad, Poor Dad is probably 80% of your podcast guests do. But um, yeah, I mean, without that book, I don't know if I, if or when I would have ever even started down this path. Awesome. Right. Awesome. Hey, Brandon, when was the last time you read that book? Yeah, probably a year ago. Oh, really? I try, uh, yeah, I try to read it once a year. I don't think I've read it in like 10 years. Probably should read, read it once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, good yeah. for like inspiring. Oh yeah, that's what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Favorite business book. Okay. So this one is a little bit off the wall. I gave some thought to this. It's actually a psychology book. It's called Thinking Fast and Slow. And it's all about how the human mind processes and makes decisions. And oftentimes you think that you're being completely rational without even knowing that all of these other influences and biases are there. And so I think like, you know, going through that book and and really being aware of what's happening in your mind when you think you're being rational and might not be, I think it can help you make a lot better decisions. And then also it can, by knowing what's going on in other people's minds too, it might 
also provide some other opportunities to exploit some situations and, you know, hedge out a little bit better deal and awesome. things like that. Very cool. cool. Very cool. And of course you can go to biggerpockets.com slash rich dad to get uh, a link to Amazon for that or biggerpockets.com slash thinking fast to get a link to that book. So awesome. anyway, we thought awesome. Make, make it easier on people. Perfect. What do you do for fun, man? What are the hobbies outside of real estate? Obviously, which I can tell you clearly do for fun now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's all fun for now. But yeah, I mean, I love like traveling and hiking, I'm building out an overland vehicle, but yeah, actually just a week and a half ago, I was, dr- uh, was driving through Denver to go do a backpacking loop out uh, Maroon Bells. Oh, nice. Yeah. Here after I get off here, I'm going to pick up my wife from the airport. She's been in South Africa with her best friend for two and a half weeks. So, I mean, we, yeah, the traveling and hiking, I mean, just any type of experience. Sweet. Sounds great. All right. My last question of the day, Austin, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Yes. I've given, uh, I mean, obviously with my favorite business book being a psychology book, like I've given a lot of thoughts to this just over the time too, but especially knowing that you were going to be asking me this. And in my opinion, it all comes down to the word why. I think it starts with the big why, starting with kind of that end goal and reverse engineering. And, you know, if you have a real reason outside of like, oh, I just want some extra money. Uh, but if you have a real reason and why you're doing it, you know, all the persistence, discipline, effort, energy, you know, is and trade-offs you have to make are really easy to do. Uh, because you know why you're doing it. And so I think that weeds out the people that don't get started or quit. And then I think the difference between like the most successful is they know the, the little whys behind like, why am I using this expense percentage for this uh, type of property or this for this? And why am I not doing this? And why is this the best strategy for me? And why aren't these the best, you know, knowing that theory as opposed to just trying to follow some playbook. Details. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. Good answer. That's awesome. I like that. I like it. I like it. All right, man, before we let you go, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I have a blog, um, goodlifein10.com. Um, Instagram, Facebook, same thing, goodlifein10. And that's awesome. T-E-N. Yeah. Not the number. Cool. cool. Good life All right, in Austin. 10. I like it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's a great show. A lot of really, really cool uh, little details. Congrats on all the success you've had so far. Good luck going forward. And we appreciate you coming on board. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks, Austin. All right, guys, that was Austin Freesting. Big thanks to Austin again for coming on the show. That was great, man. It's good to be back. Wow. Yeah, it was a good episode for you to come back on because, you know, it's a I don't know. It was a really, really good episode in, in terms of especially like knowing that you can reverse engineer financial freedom with real estate. Yes. And it was like hearing a real life example of how that happened. Uh, I know it inspires me and I'm sure it inspires like a lot of you guys listening, like go out there and do it for yourself. What do you need? Jot down exactly how much you need to make. How many properties is that? And work backwards and go get it. You yep. can do it. Yep. And, so. and like I said, if you know somebody who is looking for financial freedom, I think this is a great motivator. So get out there, share it, tell them to go to biggerpockets.com slash show 239. Listen to this podcast and uh, that's it. It's good to be here. I don't know if it's good for you to be here, but you know, it's, it's, it's all right having you back. Are you coughing? Are you coughing? Do you, do you have the black? <laughs> I, was, I was muting. I, I, was think, trying I think you have the black lung. 
that's, that's great. Yeah, I, I caught something up in one of those parks that I was at. Yeah, you, you caught yeah. something all right. I did, wow. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, listen, again, great to be back. Actually, funny funny story. Not a, not that funny a story, but more, – More my blue sludge? My, no, my, my, my youngest had fallen off the couch yesterday. She was playing around and fell oh, off and yeah. bonked her head. And, uh, you know, I ended up having to take her to the hospital, check her out. Um, we're going through, you know, just everything. And, you know, all the doctors were amazing at Children's Hospital as always. And before I leave, this woman's like, hey, c- got to tell you something. I love bigger pockets. I love it. <laughs> you know, and she's an active real estate investor. She, you know, she's absolutely a thousand percent professional. And, at, you know, as we were leaving, you know, shared with me how she's doing and what she's doing. And it, it's great. It's It's so cool to hear people, you know, following their dreams and, and, and taking action and making things happen. So that was, you know, that was the sunny side of a not so great story, but she's, my daughter's fine. She's it's like concussion, but yeah. Anyway, uh, running well, into to the doc. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's always weird to run into bigger pockets. What we need bigger pockets, people everywhere. What we need is t-shirts. We need everybody to have a t-shirt that says like, I'm a bigger pockets member, right? I'm a bigger pocket. What's the what's the the name a we give to a, I'm a bigger pocketeer. And we, we need we need we need a name. So if yeah, you've you have got a name. clever ideas for a name, let us know. Jump jump on Twitter, uh, jump on our Facebook, jump on the forums, wherever you do. Tag me, tag Brandon. Let us let us know your ideas, and we we've got some great shirt shirt designs, and I know Mindy is working on some things to nice. to get those and um, make them available for everybody. But uh, yeah, actually, that'd be interesting. What what, it would what be. should we, that way, what should we at, call ourselves? I mean, with, with what are we at? Eight hundred thousand members now, and like millions, I mean, millions, of millions people, of people yeah. visiting the, the site every month. Yeah. Like, man, like, like you guys probably don't even know it, but like you just walk down the street and like I don't know, like one out of every hundred people you see is probably a bigger pockets, you know, something like they either visit the site recently or they're interested in it, listen to the podcast, whatever. Like, you know, we're a, you know we're making an impact, well, what, so. What's interesting, back to the lady last night, what she said to me, she's like, you know, Josh, here's here's the issue. Like, I, first of all, I love, love, love bigger pockets. I all, I tell all my friends, I talk real estate. I try to talk real estate all the time and they're like so tired of me talking about yeah. it. They, <laughs> they don't care. They're kind of over it. And she needs a place where she could go and be excited. That's why she comes and hangs out at BP. But like to your point, like, hey, if we had – people out there that you can pick out another pocketeer or whatever uh, the hell. I, 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 be, <laughs> that's, that's a terrible name, by the way. It is but, pretty bad. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know. Interesting, interesting idea. It is. Well, yeah. All right. Let's get out of here. Well, good show. Thanks guys. We'll see you again next week. I'm Josh Dorkin. Signing off. And he's Brandon Turner. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to bigger pockets radio. Simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. It's time for it's time for it's time for the random five. Let's jump in real quick here and do our last little song of the show segment did i say segment segment of the show called our random six or five six four all right these uh number one can you solve a rubik's cube no ever tried not really
Me neither. Right. My daughter's really <laughs> my really my ADD close. kicks in too. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, my eight year olds are really really close, so I'm 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 excited to see when that happens. Um, what would you do if you won the lottery? Five million dollars, ten million, fifty million dollars. Uh, play in real estate more. I don't, <laughs> there you go. I, I, don't I, I, expe- I expected that answer. Okay, Brandon. Uh, do you uh, do you live by any motto or philosophy? I, I really like the fortune favors the bold. Oh, I like that. That's good. That's good. Do you play in any fantasy sports league? Fantasy football, yeah. Nice. I enjoy cool. that, but that's the only one. All right. Cool. My last of the random six. Uh, when do you feel most impatient? Right now. Uh, <laughs> when I haven't taken my Adderall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my ADD kicks in <laughs> hardcore. Oh, all right. Awesome. Yeah. There you go, man. That's that's the most honest, yeah. perfect answer <laughs> we've ever gotten. I love it. I love it. Glad I could have watched it. No problem. No problem. Um, you know, look, you're financially free. So if you could try out any job for a day, you know, like, is there anything you're always like, oh, man, that would be so cool to try out? Um, a job? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Job. No. no. <laughs> Good answer. All right, fair you enough, would want man. to be like a helicopter pilot or a marine yeah, for mean, a day, I'm, anything cool like that. I mean, I guess, I guess if that's yeah, I guess it could be. It would be fun to fly a helicopter. Yes, I mean that <laughs> seems very different than having than what job would a you job. Do? Yeah, okay. you're fair right. Okay. You know what a job yeah. I would do? You know the guy Andy? Well, I think it's named Andy Circus who plays like Gollum and also like uh, the. Planet of the Apes guy. Anyway, you're already the living the incarnation. Yeah, the thing with the ball, the, the thing with the balls all over. You like do the computer. Yeah, gener- the CGI. Yeah, the CGI. Okay. That would be a cool job for a day. Like to be that guy. They're like, okay, we want you to act like a monkey. Okay, I got this. Anyway. Okay. Right. Yeah, th- that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Austin. All right, guys. Thanks. All right. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.